Good morning, church. How are we doing today? Good. Good, good, man. Well, whether uh, you're here physically or you're joining us online, I just want to say good morning and welcome. I'm grateful you guys would take some time to spend with us this morning. Uh, it's been a while since I've been up here, man, and these lights are bright. Um, <laughs> uh, as soon as all the, the corona, COVID stuff hit, man, I've been like hunkered down. Wow, that was daddish. Hunkered down. Uh, I've been in my office, like monitoring internet stuff and tech stuff and stream stuff and camera stuff. Uh, so it's been a while since I've been up here. All right, so bear with me because I'm going to be awkward. All right. Now, uh, a couple weeks ago, last week, not a couple, last week, Pastor Mike kicked off this series called Things I Wish Jesus Never Said. It's interesting, right? Because I think for most of us, we have this image in our head of who Jesus is, right? Uh, we've got this graphic of, uh, yeah, long hair, right, scrawny, wearing a robe dress with a beauty pageant sash, and he's holding a sheep, and he's always got kids with him, and he's so he's sitting on a rock smiling, right? And I think a lot of us, we tend to look at Jesus, and we tend to see him as the hero of the story, which he is, but that tends to kind of filter the way that we view what he says, doesn't it? Because it takes his teachings and it tends to make them really cute and clean cut and easy, right? Last week, Pastor Mike looked at this verse where Jesus actually said, in order to be a follower of me, you actually have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, right? How creepy is that, right? And he walked through kind of what that looked like culturally and how that was like, dude, you're nuts, right? Like, drink of blood, like, we don't do that, right? Eating flesh cannibals, that's, like, horrible. Like, this thing that you just called us to was so abhorrent. Like, how on earth could you tell us that's what we have to do to follow you? And it actually says, after Je Jesus was finished speaking, several of his disciples, those that were following him at the time, they said, you know what, this is a difficult teaching. Who can follow that? And it says that they walked away. And so my challenge to you is that every week as a pastor gets up here and we teach through things that we wish Jesus never said, I want to challenge you. Are you going to be like those disciples who said, you know what, that's a hard teaching. I don't think I can follow it. And are you going to walk away? Are you going to say, you know what, that is a hard teaching, but I believe that God is good and I believe that what he has for me is good and so I'm going to take a step towards him. All right? So let's do this. This is something that I wish Jesus never said. We're going to start in Luke chapter 14. All right, so if you brought your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 14. Uh, we're going to start in verse 28. If you brought your phone, if you jump over to insidescc.org, we've got sermon notes in there. You can just click on the button. You can type in your notes, submit your email address, hit send. It'll send them straight to you. It's really, really clean. Luke 14, verse 28. It says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Like anybody go home and have unfinished projects all over their house? Cool. Okay, I'm not alone, all right? You know, growing up in the 90s uh, and, and into the early 2000s, right? Yeah, I'm 35. I'm still a baby. Um, 
I noticed this trend where in popular TV, stations like TLC and DIY and HGTV, right, they started to gain in prominence. And this idea of, I can do it myself, continued to grow and grow and rise. And I remember this show uh, way back, like the late, uh, late 90s, called Trading Spaces. Anybody remember this show? Yeah, okay. This, like, started this huge boom, all right? And so uh, folks would uh, find either people in their neighborhood, they would find family, they would find friends, uh, they would get paired up with a designer, they would switch houses or spaces, and they would design somebody else's space. And usually it was terrible, right? Because uh, these designers are wacky. And so uh, people would come home, and they're like, I want to light my house on fire, right? But this started this trend of like, I can do this stuff too, right? I don't have to pay somebody to come in and do it. And so you had more shows like Design on a Dime and uh, Extreme Makeover Home Edition, right? Because we just rip down houses and build them in a week, right? Uh, It's how easily it's done. House crashers and yard crashers and kitchen crashers and all the crashers, right? In the mid-2000s, flipping houses, man, it was the easy way to make money, wasn't it? So you're going to buy these old ratty properties and we're going to flip them, right? So you had flip this house and flipping Boston and flipping Vegas. And everyone was convinced you could buy a property and flip it and make a ton of money. And then the housing market crashed and the economy tanked. And in 2013 came a show called Flip or Flop. Following failed realtors, Christina and Torek Almusa, right? They were buying properties all over the LA area and they were flipping them and making just crazy money. And this led to Fixer Upper and Hometown and Good Bones. You know, YouTube and other uh, social platforms have more and more and more DIY content. And here's videos on how to do home improvement. And so this has led everyday people uh, to try tackling home repair and home improvement. And, uh, I mean, I'm an expert, right? My shirt says build. And uh, I've been watching a few episodes of Fixer Upper. And so I could probably flip my house in like an hour, right? Uh, I mean, it's just that easy. So my wife and I bought our house about four years ago. Now this August will be four years. And uh, it's just been a steady process of making it our own, right? And so uh, you have things that you have to buy, and then you have things that you want to buy, right? I don't want a water heater, right? I don't like hot things, but my wife does, right? Um, so uh, we have things that we have to buy, and then there's things that you want to buy. And on our list of things that we were wanting to do was we wanted to upgrade our countertops in our kitchen. And so uh, long before I got into doing woodworking, I've loved Butcher block countertops. I think they're beautiful. I love the look of wood. I love how they warm up the space, right? They can look really clean and industrial and modern, and they can look very rustic, right? They just have a way of transforming a space. And so, uh, like any good craftsman, uh, I sat down with my notebook, and I drew out my dimensions, and I put together how much wood was going to be involved, and then I drove to Ikea, and I bought them. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody's got time for that, right? And so I got home with three big boxes with beautiful quarter sawn white oak countertops. And I drug the boxes downstairs and went and cleaned everything off of our countertops. And I crawled underneath and I started unscrewing what was there. And I pulled out the old Formica ones. And I'm like, man, this is, this is great. Right? And so I get the new slabs in and pull out my track saw. Right? And I'm doing my thing. Right? I'm Bob Vila 2.0. Right? And I get all my countertops on this side of the kitchen put in. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm the best. Right? Oh, it looks good. I didn't do the side with the sink yet because I knew that would take a little while. So uh, the next day we were going to have people come over. So I'm like, all right, I need to clean stuff up and, and, and I'll get to it later. So a week goes by and uh, I decide, you know what, now's the time to do it, right? I'm off on Mondays. I typically uh, work on Sundays, hence me being here right now. And uh, I was off on Monday and said, hey, I think I'm going to try and tackle the other side. And so uh, I sat down and I wrote out, right, here's what I need, right? I need some silicone and I need this and I need this. And I went to builders and I, I 
Sorry, Brian, props to you. Uh, I went to Builders and I bought the stuff. Uh, and I was like, oh, cool, I've got everything. This is going to go super clean and it's going to be super easy, right? So uh, me being the petite person that I am, um, I like reverse birthed myself into the cabinet uh, and got underneath it and started like undoing all of the screws so I could get the countertops out, right? And, and then I undo the plumbing and I take out uh, the hookups to my dishwasher and, right, and I'm pulling all this stuff out. I'm like, man, this is going great. I'm like, okay, I need to disconnect the water. And so uh, I start turning on my shutoff valves and I'm like, you know, those felt a little crunchy. And there's times where you do things that you don't normally do on a regular basis and inside you know, hey, this doesn't feel right, but I don't know any different, right? And so uh, I turn the water off, right? And um, so I get under there and I start disconnecting the hose and it was the hot water hose and something broke, and this thing started whipping around inside this cabinet, right? And so uh, I'm inside this thing, and I have molten lava water shooting all over my face, and I'm like crammed in my cabinet, like, and I'm being attacked by this water tentacle, right? And I was home alone, thankfully, uh, and so I I'm trying to push myself out, and I'm wet, right? So my hands aren't grabbing anything, and I'm sliding all over the kitchen. It was awkward. It was so awkward, right? And I finally get out, and I'm waddling into the laundry room, and I turn the water off. I'm like, wow, that did not go how I thought it was going to. So I went to Builders for the second time. Right, I went to Builders four times that day. And I was quite ashamed by round three, but by round four, I was praying they were all eating lunch, because you know half the church works there right? So you walk in and you're like, okay, it's a family reunion. And they're all looking at you like, I don't know what you're doing, but it's clearly not going well, right? So I'm driving home and I'm thinking to myself, I don't need to wash my hands. You know, and we don't really need to cook, right? We just eat out, so. And if we're eating out, then we don't have dishes. Like, I got this all figured out in my head, right? I don't have to do this, except for this problem called my wife, She's not a problem, I promise. And so I'm thinking to myself, all right, I have to get this done because if she comes home and this stuff is in pieces, I'm going to hear it. So I finish the project and I have a functioning sink and things get disposed of and it's all good. But man, I did not count the cost on that project. Because the longer I get into building things and the longer I get into more uh, advanced projects, the more I realize that there's far more about counting the cost than just adding up the price of the materials. Jesus said, before you build this tower, did you count the cost so that you wouldn't come up short? Verse 31. It says, there's suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the others are still a long ways off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. And I tell you what, I wish Jesus never said that. I wish that Jesus never said following him was going to be like that. Because I like being lulled into the idea that following Jesus is way easier than it really is. You know, I've 
lived in the United States my entire life, right? I'm uh, aware that uh, as a country, we have our issues. I'm aware that there's a lot that divides us, right? I'm aware that the word freedom does not mean the same thing to everybody, including myself. But living in America is a pretty, pretty easy place to be a Christian, right? I mean, I have not once feared for my life in coming to this building. I've been going to church my entire life. I've never been scared to go to church, right? I've never thought, what's going to happen when I show up and there's an armed militia in front of the doors not letting me in? I've never had to hide the fact that I'm a pastor here to protect the people that call this church home. Like, I've never said, because I follow Jesus, there's a bounty on my head. For me, following Jesus has not cost me a lot. But I'm aware that historically and even today there are people that following Jesus is the most costly thing they choose to do. I wish that Jesus never said that. Jesus said, if you don't give up everything, you can't be my disciple, right? That's pretty clear cut, isn't it? I mean, you have to estimate the cost because you have to give up everything. But what if these verses were actually telling us more about the costs involved with not following Jesus than of following Jesus? Right? Like, when has Jesus ever said, in order to be my follower, what you bring to the table is what matters? When has following Jesus ever been predicated or dictated on what I have available, what I can do, what resources I have? Never. From the beginning, he said, you know what, I am the God that will start a good work and I will complete it in you, right? That's God, right? The God that says, I will make a way when there is no way. That is our God. So why is he saying, make sure you can complete it in order to follow me? He's not. I think that this passage says far more about the cost of not following Jesus than of following Jesus. saying, you know what? These kingdoms that you're investing in, they're going to come up short. You're going to look like a fool. You'll be like a king that's underestimated his enemy. So you better count the cost. These kingdoms are going to fail. Right? What you're pursuing, these things are going to fail. But my kingdom, my kingdom's going to come. going to cost you to not follow me, right? This is a warning from Jesus. Have you ever been to the dentist and he comes in and he says, well, uh, things look pretty good except you've you got a cavity. And you're like, okay, cool. Well, what if I don't do anything about it? Well, your mouth is going to rot, right? Like you get a warning from the dentist, right? We, uh, my wife and I have a, a 2003 Hyundai Elantra. Uh, it's old, it's rusty, and it's ugly. And every time that we take it to the mechanic, uh, to get the oil changed, he, he just looks over everything just to make sure things are good. And one time we got a phone call from him and he said, hey, I just, I want to let you know, um, this main, like, rear support beam, uh, yeah, there's a huge hole in it. And it is so rusty that if you hit a pothole on the highway, like, the whole rear end of your car is going to cave in. Okay, that's not good news, right? And you're like, oh, right? Well, yeah, that's going to cost. But the best part of receiving the bad news is that you can fix it, right? There's good news, right? We were able to replace 
that part on our car and now it's not going to cave in on us. See, Jesus is issuing a warning and he's saying, here's the deal. The kingdoms that you're investing in, you need to count the cost because you're going to come up short and you're going to look like a fool. You need to count the cost of the kingdom that you're investing in because you're underestimating your enemy. Count the cost. Have you heard Jesus' warning? Have you heard that news? What are you going to do with it? So right now you're probably thinking, well, I'm a follower of Jesus, which means I'm off the hook, right? Wrong. Let's jump to Luke 9, the verses that Josiah read. And before we get into this passage, I'm just going to set it up, right? Jesus uh, is, is with his disciples. And he asks them this question. He says, hey, he says, who do the people say that I am? And some of them say, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, and others say that you're Elisha, and some say that you're a prophet. And he says, but who do you guys say that I am? And Peter calls out and he says, well, you're the Messiah. And so Jesus starts to unpack what that actually is going to look like. And he's sitting with his disciples and he's explaining to them what his betrayal is going to look like and what his rejection is going to look like and his crucifixion and his resurrection, right? And he's talking through what they are going to see happen. And then he follows that with this. Verse 23, Luke 9, 23. He says, if anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Right? If anyone would come after me, if anyone would choose to follow in my footsteps, they need to deny themselves. Right? They need to pick up their cross daily and follow me. And I think that for a lot of us, the meaning of this has kind of been lost on us because we're so far removed from crucifixion. I mean, at this point in history, Rome is the most brutal empire to date, right? And they have completely perfected the art of corporal punishment. You see, crucifixion was far more than just killing you. It was about robbing you of your dignity. It was all about creating shame. And so as soon as you were condemned to crucifixion, as soon as you were condemned to death on a cross, they would strip you naked. Awkward, right? And they would attach the, the, the armbar, the cross piece that you were going to be hung on this cross with, right? And so you're carrying the very thing that you're going to die on. And then they would parade you through the streets to the public place of your execution. So imagine being naked, holding the thing that's going to kill you, and being mocked by mobs of people in the city square. And I think most of us have this idea that right across, it looks like this, it's this huge thing that, that holds a criminal way up in the air. But in reality, those that were being crucified, they were maybe an inch or two off the ground because they wanted people to walk up to you, look you in the eye, insult you, and spit in your face. The sign that Jesus had above his head that said, King of the Jews... All criminals would get a sign like that that would state their offense. 
And so you'd walk up and you would see exactly what they did. And people that were crucified, they were uh, crucified on top of a hill or they were crucified out uh, right at the entrance of the gates of the city. So everybody, every day as they came and went, they would see the people that had crossed the empire. It was a warning. You mess with Rome, this is how it's going to end up for you. I'm going to save you the super gory stuff because it's pretty gross, right? But men were crucified with their back to the wood. Women were crucified with their face in because it was too dishonoring to look at a woman like that. And so Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to be my disciple, that thing that you never, ever, ever want to go through That is what I'm asking you to do every single day. Talk about your pride no longer existing. Talk about anything that you feel like you bring to the table, it's completely gone. Jesus is saying, you know what, if you want to follow me, you have to follow me. And I'm going through that, and you're going to too. Imagine being one of his disciples and hearing that teaching. Talk about something I wish Jesus never said. To hear that you must pick up your cross daily and follow him must have been absolutely terrifying. I think that a lot of us today, we love pointing to Jesus and we love the cross and we love celebrating what he did for us, right? And it is worth celebrating, amen? But when have you ever had the picture of King Jesus carrying his cross with a parade of his followers behind him carrying theirs? It's not a visual that I tend to to have in my mind. That's what he calls us to day after day after day, right? Jesus isn't in, in, uh, in the front carrying his cross while we're all sitting back like the pageant queen in the convertible waving our hands, right? We're in a parade where we're walking down the road offering up everything to follow him. See, discipleship requires a cross. And cross-carrying is humbling. We can't follow Jesus and at the same time come first. We have to deny ourselves. We have to say no to our desires so that we can say yes to Jesus. Carrying one's cross simply implies the disapproval and burden associated with one's chosen way of life. Ugh. We must be willing to say alongside of Paul that such things that once were gain, to me they've now been counted as a loss for Christ. You know, this has been a pretty crazy season, hasn't it? the last four months, four and a half months. And uh, I think it's affected everybody, you know, and, and I don't think it's affected everybody the same way, but I do think that it's affected everybody. I mean, whether you're a doctor or a first responder or a teacher or a parent or somebody that eats meat or somebody that uses toilet paper, right? It's, it's affected you. And it was interesting watching how this thing affected everybody a little bit differently. 
And I remember the very first time I was watching a commercial and somebody was like, you know what, stay home, stay safe, right? We're all in this together. You hear it and you're like, man, that's, yeah, we are in this together. And then like 97 times later at 9 p.m., you're like, I swear if somebody says we're all in this together, I'm going to kill them, right? <laughs> it's like, I think you should turn the TV off there, buddy. But it was, it was interesting in my seat to, to just watch how things unfolded and how it affected everybody, right? It affected me and my wife very differently. It affected a lot of you very differently, right? For most of you, it was, well, you're either out of work or you're working at home. Maybe your kids are out of school or they're doing school at home. All of the extracurriculars that you were used to running your kids to, they didn't exist. Our normal forms of entertainment were shut off. Leaving the state, let alone your city, was highly discouraged. Things looked very different for people. It was like Corona slammed on the brakes. But for me, it was like Corona slammed on the gas pedal until I ran out of gas. Uh, It takes a lot to move the ministry of a church from in-person to online only, right? And so all of our pastors were scrambling, like, uh, how do we do this, right? Trying to figure out how do you move what you normally do online, right? How do you meet the needs of people in a socially distanced world? How do you celebrate Easter on Facebook, right? How do you get the best video quality? How do you get the best audio quality? How do you figure out ways for people to respond? How do you try and recreate or not even recreate? How do you just try and pivot and shift and try and get things to an online place where as a church we could continue to gather even though it was different? And I was working like 80 hours a week. I was dying. And on top of my job here, uh, I run a small wood shop called Olson Company, and I build furniture and home goods, and it's amazing how many people were redecorating their homes all at the exact same time, (laughs) right? And so uh, constant emails, hey, how much would it cost for you to build this? How much would it cost to build this? Hey, could you build this? Hey, I saw this picture on Pinterest. Could you do that, right? And so I was accepting jobs and saying no to jobs, and I quickly realized that all of the hardwood dealers that I buy from, well, they had closed. And all the suppliers that I normally get my supplies from, shipping was delayed. And things were really, really hard to get to. And so I had said yes to a ton of orders. And all of a sudden, I have all these projects stacking up, and I'm not able to get any of them done. And my wife and I actually started going through the process to become foster parents which involves a lot of training and like a billion pieces of paperwork and cleaning your house and getting things ready and preparing a space for future kids to be able to come in and call that place home. And I was dying. I remember I met with Brad one day and he's like, all right, he's like, well, tell me what you need. And I said, I need to take off. And he said, okay, when? I said, this week. (laughs) And I remember that night I got home and I was talking to Taylor and we were sitting down and we were eating dinner and she's like, well, what, what are you going to do tonight? I'm like, just pure sassy, just jerk face mode. I was like, what the heck do you think I'm going to do? Like, I'm going out to the shop. Like, this is my reality. This is what I've been doing for the last, like, three months. What else am I going to go do? And I love my wife because in equal sass, she said, yeah, well, you did it to yourself. So I sat at the table, and I pouted, and I was thinking to myself, lady, do you know how much sharp stuff I have out in that garage? (laughs) Right? Like, I got a whole wall full of it. And I sat there quietly, and I finished eating, and I put my stuff in the sink, because I'm a jerk, and I wouldn't even put it in the dishwasher. 
that I properly hooked up after getting sprayed by the hot water hose. <laughs> I went out to my shop, and I don't even know the project I was working on, but I just, I was so angry. And I was standing out there, and I was working, and I'm like, who does she think she is telling me this is my fault? Right? Yeah, I, I brewed up the coronavirus in our basement. Right? Like, I'm the cause of a global pandemic. Are you kidding me? Like, yeah, I'm the reason that I can't buy trees right now. Like, shut up. You're the one that wants kids. I don't even want to do this. Like, what are you telling me? This is my fault. And so I did what every grown man does, and I started complaining to God about why my life has turned out the way that it has. God, you're the one that called me here to Shelbyville. I didn't ask for this. No offense to you guys. <laughs> I'm just doing what you've called me to. Man, we're having to pivot. Like, I'm using my gifts and my abilities as best as I can to try and pivot and get this thing swung so that people in our church can still gather even though it's differently. Like, I'm just trying to meet needs. God, you've given me this vision to start this shop so I can work with addicts and people coming out of homelessness. Like, I'm just trying to build a business for you. You've given my, my wife this desire to have kids. I don't even want them. I'm doing this for her. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, frustration and anger quickly turn into just defeat. And I'm standing in my shop, I'm just thinking to myself, man, there's a really big difference in doing things for God and doing things with God. There's a really big difference between playing your part and bearing the weight and saying, I have to do this. Here's a little nugget for you. When you find yourself sitting in control, you're not building his kingdom. When you find yourself in control, you're not building his kingdom. You're building yours. You know what? Fostering kids is a really, really good thing. God calls the church to it. Helping individuals get on their feet, it's a good thing, right? God's called us to be a church that brings hope and healing to our community. Working to get our church connected so that we can gather even when we can't be in person, right? This is a good thing, right? God's given us the mission to create radical disciples that love and lead like Jesus, and that doesn't depend on a Sunday morning service, but in every method possible, even on Facebook, even on Zoom, even on Marco Polo. See, in my world, it's easy to make everything that I do kingdom work. It's just not always his kingdom. That hurts. You see, following Jesus will cost you everything. But it's not nearly 
as costly as not following Jesus. Guys, the things that are gained in Christ outweigh all that is lost for Christ. What is gained in Christ far outweighs anything that is lost for Christ. To carry your cross daily means to submit your kingdom to His. To carry your cross daily means to submit. It means submitting your preferences. It means submitting your agendas. It means submitting your time. It means submitting your pride. It means submitting your fear. It means submitting your control. It means submitting your family. This one's going to hurt. It means submitting your constitutional rights. It means submitting your political alignment. It means submitting your selfish ambitions. It means submitting your, uh, what people think of you. Uh, the need to be right. The need to get your way. Submitting your intellectual superiority. Submitting your self-gratification. Submitting your desire to keep up. Submitting your worship style. Submitting your health, submitting your wealth, submitting your marriage, submitting your position of power, submitting your bitterness, submitting your to-do list, submitting the need to have. Guys, submitting your kingdom to his. It will cost you everything, but that's nothing in comparison to the cost of not following Jesus. That's something I wish Jesus never said. But like the day that I got a call from our mechanic and he said, hey man, there's this big issue that you need to take care of. You can either fix it or you can end up in a fatal crash. Like those followers of Jesus that heard his words and said, you know what, that's a difficult teaching. How can anybody follow that? Are you going to choose to walk away, or are you going to lean into it and say, you know what, I believe that God is good and that what God is calling me to is good, and I'm going to take a step towards him. Following Jesus will cost you everything, but that's nothing compared to the cost of not following Jesus. Right now, there are two types of people sitting in this room, watching online, all around the world. First, there's those that they don't follow Jesus, right? Know this, it's going to cost you. What are you going to do with Jesus' warning? Are you going to be like that builder that didn't count the cost and comes up short? Or like the king that underestimated his enemy? What kingdom are you investing in? Because he tells us, those kingdoms will fail, but my kingdom, it's going to come. To those of you that do follow Jesus, what does it look like to deny yourself and pick up your cross every day? What do you need to pick up? What do you need to put down? Where in your life do you need to submit? What kingdom are you investing in? Let's pray. 
Jesus, I, I don't like what you said, but I'm grateful you said it. Jesus, I'm praying so hard today that folks that have never said yes to you will make that decision. For those that have said, you know what, I, I'm good. I like sitting on the throne. I like doing my thing. I like being in, in charge. I like being in control. God, I pray that you would break them of that. And I pray that these folks would submit to you and say, you know what, your kingdom is the one I want to invest in. Man, if you're watching right now, if you're in the room and you're saying, you know what, I've never done that before. Jesus, I pray that you would save them. To those of you who want to know how, tell them, Jesus, I want you to save me. I admit that I am sinful and that I'm broken and that I'm doing my own thing. And I trust and I believe that you went to the cross for the payment of my sins and that you rose from the grave defeating death. And because of that, I can have eternal life. Because of that, I can have right standing with God. For those of us that say we are followers of Jesus, I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict us, that, that the Holy Spirit would lead us, that every day, moment by moment, you would constantly be speaking to us. Nope, go this way. Do this, don't do that. Hey, And I pray that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, that, that we know that this is through love, that we know that what we're doing is, is ultimately for our good, for your glory, for the, the benefit of other people. And Jesus, I, I pray that your kingdom comes. Thank you for the warning that it's going to cost. But I pray that, that all of us would choose to, to follow after you. In your name, amen. It's like every Sunday we're going to respond. Or in light of this sermon, man, maybe this week we're going to submit. Maybe God's calling you to submit your finances. And I'm going to tell you this, man, I've had pennies in my bank account. And I've had thousands in my bank account. And it doesn't matter how much money I have, it's always a challenge. But when you give sacrificially, it makes you put your faith in God. And it removes you as being the provider for yourself, and it makes him the provider for you. Right? When you've got a mentality like I do, where it's like, no, I'll make it happen, I'll figure it out. Man, he's going to push on that one for a long time. Maybe he's calling you to submit your finances. And we've got boxes throughout the room, you can bring an offering, you can bring a tithe, right? If you're online, you can give online, you can text to give. Submit your finances. Maybe he's saying, you know what, you need to submit your bitterness. Maybe there's somebody here in the room or a family member that you're saying, man, I don't like them, right? They've made me angry. They've done something to hurt me, right? And you're harnessing that. And he's saying, you know what, you want to follow me? You got to submit your bitterness. Today, reach out to that person. Ask for forgiveness for holding a grudge against them. And see what beautiful things can come in that relationship. Maybe he's calling you to submit your time. He's saying, you know what? Right now, you got a little extra on your hands? Maybe if you don't, I'm calling you to spend time with me in my word, praying, worshiping, right? You need to submit your time to me. Am I the last thing you do before you go to sleep so you can feel good, or am I the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning because you're excited about the opportunity of spending time with me? 
Maybe he's asking you to submit your talents. He's saying, you know, you need to find a place to serve, or you need to find a way to serve my kingdom with the gifting and the ability that I've given you. Maybe he's saying, you know what, maybe it's time that you submit your life to me. Church, following Jesus is going to cost you everything. But that's nothing compared to the cost of not. Let's respond.